hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Many churches are beginning Advent today as we begin to anticipate Christmas. But I don't want us to rush too quickly away from the work of God's Spirit in our lives. We still have four weeks in uh, December to focus on the surprises that will happen to us during the Advent season. I realize that a sermon is not a term paper, so you don't need all the footnotes where I am going to cite the works of the author. But I also do not want to present the work of others as if it were my own. Today I have edited and combined thoughts from two of the greatest pastors of the last century. Some of what I am about to say will sound like it comes from Adrian Rogers, former pastor of a church in Memphis and voice of the radio program Love Worth Finding. Other ideas that I'm going to share this morning come from the pen of John Piper, a retired pastor from Minnesota and a ministry called Desiring God. Both of these preachers preach about an hour, so you can rest assured I am not just reading their sermon. I have edited some of their thoughts and will not just be reading verbatim. I have gleaned from each of their comments on today's text to write words that I believe are helpful and applicable to us in Chase County, not in Tennessee, not in Minnesota, but right here, right now. Last week, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This week, we consider the fruit of Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are two general ideas that I want to introduce and to put out there before we actually jump into the text. The first is in the passage that was just read for us. In verse 22, the word fruit is singular. This is not a list of options that you would find in a produce aisle that allows you to pick and choose what you want. I want a little bit more love, a little bit more patience, but not so much a little bit more gentleness. All of them together are evidence of the Spirit of God calling the shots in your life. If the Spirit of God is in control of your life, all of these will be evidence to some degree. Evidence leads me to the second observation. Just as fruit is produced when a tree or a plant is healthy, fruit becomes evidence of the health and the type of the plant. And the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the health and the type of the life that you are living. Let's begin by breaking down this text in front of us into some manageable pieces. Generally speaking, the type of life that you experience can fall into one of two divisions. Those divisions are the fleshly sins or works and spiritual fruit. We first see the different types of sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality have been identified as sexual sins. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Those have been identified as spiritual sins because they reveal something about your inside. And then we also have envy, Drunkenness and orgies, which are social sins, never done in isolation. Now you may be wiping your brow, let out a breath of relief and say, he didn't get me. But the Apostle Paul goes on to say, and things like these. That includes you. And that includes me. And so sometimes our lives are found in those three and a half categories. And there are other times when our life is found in the second major division. A life that is defined by spiritual fruit. A life that is defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, except for on Thanksgiving. There's a contrast in here between works and fruit. The sins at the top of the screen, that is what we produce. It's the effort of the flesh. When we do what we want, that's what happens. But the bottom half of that screen is not about what we produce, it's about what we bear. 
we bear the fruit because it is the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit. We produce work. He produces fruit. And so Paul is very exact here in this scripture that he uses. But he goes on to say, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us also not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. There is an enemy of God that the Bible calls the flesh. This flesh is not muscles, tendons, and skin. The flesh that we see in this verse is the human tendency that is shaped by three influences. Three influences that are opposed to the purpose for which God created you. The flesh personified is the great deceiver. And he deceives through internal motivations and external enticements. There's the he, the internal, and the external. And all of this that is opposed to God finds root in the evil one himself. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that we can be aware of the schemes of our enemy. We can know the strategy of our foe. His first strategy is that he attacks us unexpectedly. Jesus, after his baptism and when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, when the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon him... The Bible then says in Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, what I'm trying to say here, friend, is that there's a principle that you could almost call the devil after the dove. The dove descended, and then came the devil. For Jesus then says, watch and pray, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The enemy is going to come, but he's going to come when we are not expecting him to be there. He comes to us, indeed, unexpectedly. Secondly, he attacks us indirectly. Our foe attacks us indirectly and internally. Look for a moment at Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 17. Read what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. Pay attention, verse 18. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and he cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, because he did not fear God. 
Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. So we are told we are not to forget what happened to the children of Israel. We have a word picture from Amalek who is a picture of the evil one who sneaks up from behind when we are unexpected. This example is of a warrior who attacks at your most vulnerable and exposed point when you are tired and weary. I'll tell you, God doesn't think much of this fellow Amalek. You can tell that right away. Because he came unexpectedly, but he came indirectly. He sneaked up from behind. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody just caught you off guard? Maybe you were tired, irritable, a little confused. And you opened your mouth and said something terrible? You just said something, and then after you said it, or while you were saying it, you were just as surprised as the other person that that came out of your mouth. You know, I'm really surprising myself. Hey, what made me do that? You didn't even realize that within you was a propensity to say such a thing and act in such a way. What the devil did was a sneak attack on you. He used the flesh, but he came from behind and he bushwhacked you when you were weak. So our enemy comes unexpectedly. Our enemy comes indirectly. Thirdly, he attacks us viciously. Notice what he did. Look again in verse 18 that we just read. The Bible says he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, that is, those who were lagging behind you. What the flesh does is to attack us in our weakest place. Now, when God tests us, God tests us in our strongest place. God tested Abraham's faith because that was his strongest place. But the devil attacks us in our weakest place. Now, these people were wounded, they were weak, they were weary, and the flesh took full advantage. Now, I tell you, when you have a great spiritual experience at the same time, so many of us will find ourselves weary. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then he was weak, and then the devil followed the dove. A pastor can be praying and fasting, can come home and have a tremendous argument with the godly woman that God has given him, if he's not careful. A church can have a great spiritual outreach, like VBS or our Bible and Life Conference, when we're working and praying and fasting and organizing, and God is blessing the move. But we're also tired. We've been to so many meetings. Don't you think the enemy knows that? 
You see, he's very vicious. He comes unexpectedly with a sneak attack, and he comes, dear friend, indirectly from behind, and he comes viciously to take advantage of the fact that many times we are tired and disoriented, albeit we're walking with God. These three characteristics, and then fourthly, we find that our enemy attacks us arrogantly. For notice the very end of verse 18 of Deuteronomy 25. He did not fear God. Now I want to say that the flesh has no fear of God. The Bible says the flesh is warfare with God. James chapter 4. Now be honest with me. Do you find it hard to pray sometimes? Do you find it hard to read your Bible? Well, if you are born again, there will be a desire to pray. There will be a desire to love God, a desire to witness, a desire for the things of God. And indeed, there is that desire. But I'm going to tell you something else. You are going to find something in you that doesn't desire it at all. It will fight you. And keep you from doing the things that you ought to do. That you know you want to do. God wants you to have victory over this foe that attacks us in so many ways. The Christian life, when attempted in the flesh, is marked by defeat. But the Christian life, under the control of the Holy Spirit, displays the victory that can be found in faith. How are we going to overcome that flesh that doesn't want to? Part of us wants to, the other part doesn't. How do we feed this dog so he wins the fight? Yesterday I was doing my devotional reading, Exodus 4 through 7, where God tells Moses to use his staff to convince Pharaoh. He said, Moses, pick up the snake by the tail, and Moses says, what's that, Lord? Because any country boy, other than the Magger boys who love snakes, knows that the way that you pick up a venomous snake is not by the tail, because that leaves the business end loose. But God said, Moses, pick it up by the tail. And it became a rod again in Moses' hand. And no longer is it called the rod of Moses, but it is then called the rod of God. This is a name for a hot rod. I'd love to see the rod of God in a parade. See, what God was showing Moses was this. Moses, there are flesh principles in your heart. There is a serpent within your so-called ability. And you need to throw down your ability. You need to throw down the flesh. And every preacher needs to do this. Every elder needs to do that. Every youth volunteer needs to do that. Every Sunday school teacher needs to do it. We've got to cast down the rod of our abilities. And when we cast them at Jesus' feet and let him take the serpent out of it, he then gives us back the rod, the God rod. 
See, no longer is it your ability, no longer is it your strength or your intelligence that leads that Sunday school class. Now it's God's ability. And God will use that gift, and God will use that ability, and when he takes a serpent out of it and gives it back to you, it becomes an act of God. And it don't, doesn't only happen here. Did you know that sometimes even the gift of hospitality can be filled with selfish pride? And when we throw down our gift of hospitality, allow God to remove the serpent and give us back the gift, then we can exercise that gift as the God rod in loving ways that accomplish God's purpose and the people that we care about. You may not know the sin, the flesh, the serpent that is within your rod. Moses didn't know there was a serpent in that rod, but God knew it was in there. And God took the serpent out, he gave it back to Moses, and now it is the rod of God. What was God showing us? He's showing us that God's power over the flesh is made available to us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We can exchange fleshly works for spiritual fruit. Let me tell you what it takes to gain victory over the flesh. It takes the power of God. That's the rod. Now let's go all the way back now to Galatians chapter 5 where we started. Because now I think Galatians passage will have even more meaning for us. Because Galatians 5 Look again at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, how do we overcome the flesh? By walking in the Spirit. The fruit of Holy Spirit shows up in our daily victories. Walking in the Spirit is how we slay the serpent or the dragon of our flesh. For Moses, it only took one throw down to change the rod. For most of us, though, it looks a little bit different. We need to keep throwing down the staff to get rid of the beast that is in our fleshly abilities. But when we do, we will slay the dragon that is inside of us. John Piper pictures it this way. Picture your flesh, your old ego, that ego that craves power and reputation and self-reliance. Picture that ego as a dragon living within some cave of your soul. Then you hear the gospel, and in it, Jesus comes to you and says, I will make you mine, I will take possession of that cave, and I will slay the dragon. Will you yield to my possession? It's going to mean a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. You say, but that dragon in the cave, that's me. I will die if you kill the dragon. And Jesus says, and you will rise in a newness of life 
for I will take the place. I will make my mind and my will and my heart your very own. So you respond to the Lord, what must I do? And the Lord says, trust me and do as I say. As long as you trust me, we cannot lose. That's walk by the Spirit. Overcome by the beauty and the power of Christ, you bow and swear eternal loyalty and trust. And as you rise to your feet, he puts a great sword in your hand and says, follow me. And the Lord Jesus leads you with that sword in your hand into the mouth of the cave and says, go in and slay the dragon of selfish flesh. But then you look at Jesus I can't do that. I can't do that without you. And he smiles and says, you learn quickly. Jesus says, never forget, my commands for you to do something are never commands to do it alone. Then you enter into the cave together with God's Spirit. A horrible battle follows and you feel Christ's hand upon yours. At last, the dragon lies limp and you ask, is it dead? And Jesus' answer is, I've come to give you a new life. This life that you received when you yielded to my possession, when you swore faith and loyalty to me, and now with my sword and my hand, you have felled that dragon of the flesh. It is a mortal wound. It will die. This is certain. But the devil hasn't yet bled to death. It may yet revive with violent convulsions and do much harm. So you must treat it as dead. You must seal the cave as a tomb. The Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit, is a constant reckoning of the flesh as dead. We continue to pile stones on the mouth of the tomb so that our old flesh who has been killed cannot come back and take control of our lives. We live with a constant relying on the present spirit of Christ to produce love, joy, and peace within. Our fleshly attempts to be good or to do better will inevitably result in sin and failures. But our walk by faith with the Spirit as our battle partner yields the victories that we desire. If you want your life to have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, walk by the Spirit and He will produce His fruit. If you want more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you will find victory only in our Savior Jesus. Earlier, we celebrated in communion the removal of all guilt from our sin. Now join me as we celebrate the victory of Holy Spirit's desire to bring fruit into our lives. Join me as we stand and we sing the chorus and then verse 2 of that 